Hello, and welcome to Cathedra, the podcast for creatives, storytellers, worshipers, and artists in the body of Christ. I'm your host, Leland Mooring, and today's episode is titled Cover Art. As an introduction to the first season of Cathedra, we will lay out the vision for the city of God and the disruptive genius of God's plan and His church. Of all the stories in the Bible that I believe most relate to the current and coming position of the Church of God in the West, it is the story of Daniel and Babylon. So we're going to dive into the life of Daniel together and examine how we as creatives, storytellers, worshipers, and artists can better emulate the character, obedience, and gifting of Daniel amongst a modern-day Babylon. We'll also take a closer look into the cover art for our album, City of God, which is a piece from 1595 by Abel Grimmer, titled The Tower of Babel. I'm so glad to have you with me today. Let's get into the conversation. It's going to be awesome. Here we go. Well, hello, and welcome to Cathedra. This is the podcast for creatives, storytellers, worshipers, and artists. Uh, my name is Leland Mooring. I am the lead singer and songwriter for a band called Leland. <laughs> uh, turns out it's actually really tough to name a band, and we got a little bit lazy, and so we just adopted my first name. Um, I'm from Houston, Texas. Um, I've been a part of this band, Leland, for over 17 years. It feels insane to say that out, out loud. Uh, we have been making music for, yeah, almost 17 years now. We've made uh, seven albums. Um, a couple of them were live worship albums. The rest were studio albums. Um, we've been an artist on multiple labels, and we are in the process of releasing our latest album titled The City of God, and it's uh, it's going to be coming out March 10th. I'm so excited about it. I can't wait to share this new music with you. Um, Cathedra, this podcast is sort of like a manifestation of the last 17 years of my personal creative journey with God as a worship leader, a pastor, a dad, a storyteller, and an artist. Um, I feel like I've been navigating the line between this love for the local church and the worship that we get to do on Sunday morning, this love for high worship, but also at the same time, this other part of me really loves and has such a passion for storytelling and artistry. And I found myself over the past 17 years across the globe as our band's gotten to travel from Africa to South America to Latin America to all over Europe. I've been in countless conversations with young men and women of God, and it seems like every time over the last 17 years, these conversations always go back to one of two things, either worship or artistry. How are they different? How are they unique from one another? How are they both bringing glory to God? And where is their proper place in the kingdom of God and in the church? Um, So, Cathedra, the name of the podcast. Why Cathedra? Um, Cathedra is the root word for the word cathedral. And um, roughly translated, the word cathedral basically means a seat or a throne or a place of authority. And my heart is that through this podcast, which hopefully will become uh, an inspiration for you, will encourage God's artists and creatives and storytellers and his worshipers 
to come back to Jesus and to allow him to be seated on the throne of his creative's hearts again. You know, God is the King of kings. He's the Lord of lords. And every good and perfect thing we have comes from him. So even telling stories and creativity and artistry, yes, that too has its origin in God. He is the original artist and he is the original worshiper. He's the one who teaches us how to pray, but he's also the one who tells amazing stories to, to, and wraps them in beautiful narratives to describe to us what the kingdom of God is like. I pray that this podcast, whatever side you find yourself on, that this podcast cathedra and this first season would become like a flame thrown onto the great heap of dry wood that's inside your creativity and your imagination, that if you feel called to artistry and storytelling, you would be revived and feel a new wind of inspiration through the Holy Spirit who searches out the depths of the mind of God. And he wants to reveal to you and I God's perspective about artistry and storytelling. And if you feel called, like I said earlier, to this Levitical calling for the local church to lead people into worship, that this podcast would inspire you to be compelled by the presence of God, by the conviction of God, to come back to simple temple worship, to come back to the simplicity of temple worship, that you would see yourself as a priest in the house of God and a pastor and a leader again, that your number one goal is to lead people to the face of Jesus when we gather together. Um, That's my heart for this podcast. I feel like in the last 17 years, I've discovered that within the greater body of Christ exists a small tribe. Think of it like a tribe within a tribe. And that tribe of people I really feel called to is the creative, the artist, the storyteller, and the Levite worshiper to understand what is the kingdom's culture behind worship leading? What is the kingdom's culture behind storytelling and artistry? And how can I live that out and and unify or harmonize my creative life with the culture of heaven, not with just the general market culture? And how do I listen to the spirit of the Lord instead of the spirit of the age? How do I listen to the voice of God instead of the voice of man? How do I How do I come in in alignment with the king's culture? So in this episode, I want to dive into the kingdom's definition of artistry and creativity and worship. Every morning when I wake up, I have a choice. I can either follow the spirit of man or the spirit of the Lord. I can follow the culture of the age or the culture of heaven. And I don't know about you, but I want to be an ambassador for this kingdom and especially as an artist, as a storyteller, and as a worshiper. How do I align my life with the culture of heaven? The mind of Christ is the culture of the kingdom of God. Man, that lights me up. The mind of Christ is the culture of heaven. The Bible says that that no one knows the thoughts of a man except the spirit that's inside of a man. In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the spirit of the Lord, because the spirit searches out the depths of the mind of God and reveals it to you and I. 
And Paul said this, praise be to God that we have received this same Holy Spirit who is the mind of Christ, who searches out the mind of God. So the Holy Spirit, the same one that lived in Christ, that raised him from the dead and resides inside of you and I, if you've confessed in Jesus and you believe in your heart, well, now you've been filled with the same Spirit of Christ, that same Spirit of the Lord that cries, Abba, Father, that Spirit of God wants to remind you every day of your adoption in the Lord, that you are one with Christ, you're a son and daughter of the King of Kings, and also he wants to reveal to you God's perspective, God's worldview, God's mind. He wants to reveal it to you and I through two things. One, through his word. This Bible that you and I have, it's not just a book like any other book. It is a supernatural book that was inspired and breathed out by the Spirit of God, meaning the Spirit of God anointed and rested upon the writers of this book that we have, that we call the Bible. And through the Spirit of God, it breathed out revelation, revelation, stories that were filled with narratives of God's redemptive nature and the redemptive story of God's plan in humanity. So this Bible is not like any other book. You know, I recently heard Sam Harris and Jordan Peterson debating uh, about God and and the the need for religion in the world. And I love Sam Harris. I think he's a really smart guy. But Sam Harris, kind of in a condescending tone, said to Jordan Peterson, do you really believe that the Bible is this special book? That, That the humans that were writing the Bible were taking dictation like no other human ever in human history, and it really is this special thing? Really, do you believe that? And he kind of was sort of had this, you know, sort of negative condescending tone. And here's what I would say. Yes, Sam Harris, I believe the Bible is a supernatural book. And it takes a lot less faith for me to believe that than it does to believe that the universe came from nothing. (laughs) That's another podcast for another day. So one, God speaks to us through his word, this Bible that we have. Two, the Holy Spirit, the witness of the Spirit of God, testifying that you are a son and daughter of the King that lives on the inside of you. That same Holy Spirit who searches out the mind of God wants to take that word of God that is written in your Bible, the promises of God. He wants to take that same promise in the word and write it on the tablet of our heart supernaturally by grace, by his spirit. If God can have my mind, he can have the rest of my life. If God can change my thoughts, he can change every part of my life. So I pray this podcast leads you and I as artists, as creatives, as worshipers into the mind of Christ for artistry, the mind of Christ for storytelling, the mind of Christ for leading worship. I'm so excited. So at the beginning of 2020, God led me back to some of the Old Testament stories that I grew up with as a kid in children's church. And one of those stories was the story of Daniel and Babylon. And the more and more that I read this story, the story of Daniel's amazing. The more and more I read this story, I realized and saw a parallel between Daniel's time and the time that you and I are living in right now at this moment. I believe the story of Daniel closely mirrors the, the current position and the coming position of the artists and the creatives and the worshipers in the body of Christ today amongst culture. You and I are called to be God's Daniels amongst a modern-day Babylon. 
I'll say that again. In every Babylon, God always has a Daniel. Oh my goodness, that lights me up. I'm here, I'm, as you can hear, I'm here in my kitchen, guys. <laughs> I'm speaking to you from my dining room in my house in Baytown, Texas, and I'm totally by myself, and I'm getting lit up by the Spirit of God, encouraging myself in the Lord. I'll say that again. In every Babylon, there is always a Daniel. God is raising up a generation of Daniel-like artists, Daniel-like creatives, Daniel-like worshipers and Levites that will stand up in the midst of a modern Babylon that is crying, that cries out, let us make a name for ourselves and let amongst the heavens. Let us build a tower that touches the sky. Let us become like God. In the midst of that Babylonian cry, God is raising up you, his Daniel, to stand amongst the Nebuchadnezzar, which to me represents the spirit of the age that has dreams in its hearts, that has things it's trying to figure out. It needs someone to cry out with a clear voice what the voice of the Lord is saying to culture. And God wants to use you as a Daniel to interpret the cry of the heart of the spirit of the age. The Bible says, the Bible says that, that all creation is groaning right now for the sons and daughters of God to be revealed. What does that mean? That means that just as Nebuchadnezzar, when he had his first dream and woke up almost terrified and impassioned saying, I've had this dream. I've had this dream that feels supernatural, feels otherworldly, and I don't know what the interpretation is. I need someone to speak to me this dream that has been deposited on the inside of me. I believe that God is raising up Daniels amongst his artists, amongst his creatives, amongst his storytellers and his body, and amongst his worshipers to interpret with a new dialect, with a new language to to interpret the cry of creation's heart because they're groaning to see the sons and daughters of God take their place amongst culture and shine as lights, innocent and blameless, Christ-like, little Christ-like ones in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. Woo! See, Daniel was extremely gifted. My goodness, Daniel was very, very, very gifted. And though you're gifting, might make room for you to stand before culture, to stand before Nebuchadnezzar, who is looking for an answer. It's not your gifting that will bring the glory of God. It's not your gifting that will turn the hearts of those people. It is your character. Your gifting will make will always make room for you, but it's your character that will decide whether God can keep you in that place and use you as an instrument of reconciliation or whether he'll have to remove you. I believe we need a revival, not of gifting, but a revival of character amongst God's creatives and artists. God wants you and I to fall in love, not with his works, but with his ways. The children of Israel knew the works of God, but Moses knew the ways of God. You see, if I can, if the Holy Spirit can enrapture my heart with the mind of Christ, the ways of God, then he can trust me with the miraculous power of his works and demonstration through my life. God cares much more about my character than he does about my success. You see, success is actually a storm. 
It's not something that you and I should just pray for all the time. We should graciously accept success when it comes our way. But I believe we should accept it with loose hands and with trembling hearts. In Proverbs, it says that the beginning of all wisdom is the fear of the Lord. It starts with the fear of God, and it's not, it's not a fear. It's not a, a terror of God. It is a fear of the Lord, a reverential fear, that just as the angels of God, when they behold the fullness of the glory of God, when they see the links of God's love, the heights, the depths of God's love, that he would, he would come into the world and take on the sin of man, and be crucified by men, rejected by men. That's the love that the angels of God look upon it and they tremble in fear because they know the fullness of God's glory in heaven. The unlimited glory of God. Paul said, I see God dimly through a mirror. You know, John, the, 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 the one, the disciple who said, I am the one that Christ loves. I'm the disciple. I'm Jesus' favorite. I love that. He had such confidence about God, Christ's love for him. He said, I'm the disciple whom Christ loves. He's the one who laid his head on the shoulder of Jesus at the Last Supper. He was that comfortable with the Lord. That same John, when he saw Jesus in the fullness of his glory in heaven, he said that I had no strength in my legs. I couldn't even stand. I fell down in his glory like a dead man. And Christ had to touch him and say, stand up. Stand up. Have no fear. Do not fear. I want to show you the things that are to come. I believe that's an image of the posture of the heart that God wants to work out in the hearts of his storytellers, his artists, his creatives today in the body of Christ. He wants to show you and reveal to you through his word and through his presence a picture of his magnitude and glory that is so overwhelming that you cannot stand that you fall down again in your secret place, on your face, and re-surrender every single day to the King of Kings. And that he would touch you with his loving hand and, and give you the strength to stand, to see his face fully. And also that he would say to you, come with me. I want to show you the things that are to come so that you can put them in story, so that you can put them in narrative, so that you can use your gifting that I've given you before the foundation of the world and set you in a time and a place like this to be my voice and to be my Daniel amongst a modern day Babylon. You see, Babylon is not so much a physical place as much as it is a spirit. The reason I believe you and I are living and coming into a modern-day Babylon isn't because we have a physical tower being built outside and we're all coming together. Yes, I do see when I look out in culture plenty of wickedness. I mean, my goodness, we don't have to, to look very far on television and on all sorts of things to see all sorts of wicked, satanic things happening in the world. But I believe that, that the modern-day Babylon is much more subtle than that. I believe it's actually a spirit. The spirit of Babylon says what the same Babylonian said in Genesis at Babel, at the Tower of Babel. You see, they said this. They came together. This is in Genesis. And there's Nimrod gathering the people of the earth together under one purpose. And it doesn't say that Nimrod said this, but it says that the people in unity said this together. 
They said, let us make a name for ourselves amongst the heavens and let us build a tower. Let us build a tower to heaven and do it in unity so that we are, lest we are scattered across the faces of the earth, across the face of the earth. I believe that same cry, let us become like God, is what we are experiencing today in our modern culture. We've transitioned in the last, I don't know if you've noticed this, but we've transitioned in the last 10 or 15 years from just, you know, the new rise of the new atheism that's all about rationality and hard facts and science. We've trans, we've left that way behind, man. (laughs) You know, we've left that way behind. It seems like now we are stepping into a new spiritualism. It seems like when I look around at our culture, I see a lot of spirituality, but it's just a new, it's a Babylonian spirituality. It's, there's a lot of talk about temples, you know, your body's a temple, your mind's a temple, take care of it, you know, and I'm all for self-care, I'm all for mental health care, I'm all for that. I think it's great. I think the church needs, needs to dive into those things, and it's healthy for us to take care of our bodies and take care of our mental health, but in the midst of all that, there's sort of this pervasive tone that says, you are a temple but you are also the God that sits on that throne. You see, the Bible does call us temples. The Bible does say that you and I are temples, but it has something really important to say about who sits on that throne, and that is the King of Kings, that God would dwell no longer in buildings made with human hands, but dwells upon the throne of the hearts of his people. And that's the hope for this podcast, that if you are an artist, if you're a creative, if you're a storyteller, if you're a worshiper, that God would resurrect in you a passion and a hunger and a thirst for the kingdom of God's culture, for that thing that he's given you a passion for. And I'm here to tell you, my friend, my creative person, my artistic brother and sister, my worshiper, my Levite, the ones who feel called to put narratives, to write stories that impact people, It's easy for you and I because of the way we're wired when we look out at the state of the world to just be so overwhelmed by what's happening, to be so anxious and to be so fearful that we're painted into a corner of inactivity, that we look out and we see, man, another pandemic could just spring up out of nowhere, so I might as well do nothing. Or, or man, I don't know the the future state of our economy, and it's already hard to, to monetize my art, so I might as well just do nothing. I might as well just do nothing. That's exactly what the enemy wants you and I to do today. As creatives and artists, he is terrified of you. The reason the enemy is terrified of you, the creative, the artist, the storyteller, the artisan, the worshiper, the reason he is terrified of you is because of what God spoke in Zechariah 1. In this vision in Zechariah 1, in the vision, they saw four horns. The four horns were to represent a global, a global spirit that was coming to terrify the people of God, to put them in a corner of fear and inactivity, to fill them with anxiety. And yet God's response is this, I am raising up four craftsmen, four artisans, four artists, four creatives, for worshipers, for storytellers to stand up against this evil spirit of fear and to proclaim the kingdom of God. These artisans are going to wreak havoc upon the kingdom of hell. 
I really believe that, that this time and age, we are living in what Zechariah talked about. We are living in a modern day Babylon that is trying to encapture all of the body of Christ in, in, in crazy fear that freezes you, a fear that freezes you into, into position and an anxiety so that you cannot move, you cannot write, you cannot think, you cannot create. And I believe that God is going to wake us up from our sleep. He's going to shake us out of that fear and begin to reveal to us. He's going to give us, instead of our vision and our eyes being upon upon the culture and upon all the negatives and upon the political climate and the economic climate and the geopolitical climate, instead of looking out there at, at what we can see in the natural, God wants our vision to look up. That like Jacob said, I looked up and behold, I saw a window open in heaven, a ladder descending, angels ascending and descending upon this ladder. And I saw God at the top of this ladder declaring, I am the Lord, merciful and gracious. I believe that God, if you and I would look to Christ, if we would look to Jesus, like John the Baptist said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. If we would look to Christ He wants to show you a vision of his glory, a vision of himself. He wants to show you that vision in his word. He wants to show you that vision in your imagination, in your creativity, and by his spirit in your heart. And he wants to begin to show you the things that are to come, what he is doing in the world, what his work is, his redemptive plan is for the world. The Bible says that God is reconciling all things back into himself. And I firmly believe that the artist, the creative, the storyteller, and the worshiper are vital parts of God's work of redemption and reconciliation in the world and in the church. So there are four things that I want to look at in the story of Daniel. And I'm just going to briefly overview them. You can find these four things in the first two chapters of Daniel. I encourage you later, go read the whole story of Daniel because it's amazing. But in the first two chapters, you find these four, these four pictures, these four moments that I believe mirror the time that we're living in now. Consider them four opportunities to reveal the glory of God. The first is the exile. The second is the name change. The third is the food. And the fourth is the dream. We've already touched on these a little bit already, praise God. But the first is the exile. Like we said earlier, I do believe that we're moving into a new time that requires a new paradigm from the Lord. We cannot operate under the old paradigm anymore. We're called to hold on to the old paths of healing that are good, spit out the rest, and then with our other hand, reach forward to what Isaiah talks about, the new thing that God is doing. See, God's word, it seems like it contradicts itself, but it doesn't. God's word says two things. It says in Jeremiah, do not forget the old paths, do not forsake the old paths of healing. They will be a refreshment to you. Don't forsake the things that you've learned in God that are good, that come from our parents, our grandparents, our great-grandparents, the things they discovered in the Lord in their generation and in their time. Take those heavenly treasures and hold tightly to them, but spit out the rest of the stuff that isn't necessary. 
and make room for what Isaiah tells us to do, to forget the former things and look forward to the new thing that I am doing in the earth, says the Lord. I am making ways in the wilderness and streams in the desert. That means God is going to, we are entering into a time of the miraculous power of God being demonstrated through his church. That what seems like a desert will become a pool of springs and a rushing with rivers of life. That what seems like an unnavigating, uh, an, I don't even know what the word is, uh, a, a, a wilderness that's impossible to navigate through will then become a highway. God is going to work miracles through you and I. I really believe that. His creatives, his artists, his storytellers, and his worshipers. But I believe it first starts with surrender. And it also starts with a new paradigm change, a paradigm shift to see ourselves walking into Babylon, but to be filled with faith and hope for the future. We are God's Daniels in Babylon. Second, we see that they tried to change their names. They did. They changed Daniel's name. And the three men that were, that were with Daniel, they changed their names. Now, this is an easy one for us creatives to understand. The reason the enemy decided to change their names was because Nebuchadnezzar said, I'm going to give you a few years to train these, these really promising Israelites, these talented Israelites. And in, within three to 10 years, I want you to transform these guys from Israelites to Babylonians. We're going to indoctrinate them into our culture. And then we're going to use their gifting and their talent and their ability to then spread the supremacy of the Babylonian culture. I don't know about you, but I'm getting lit up right now because I see a parallel in what, in what the enemy's trying to do in our culture to our creatives, to our artists, to our worshipers. He's trying to start by changing your identity by changing your name. You see, my brother said this recently, and my goodness, it lit me up. He said, Leland, the Christian life is much more about remembering than anything else. Don't forget who you are in Christ. The enemy wants you to forget your name. He wants you to forget the name that God has given you. And that name that God has given you is my beloved. The name that God has given you and I is my beloved That spirit that's inside of you, the spirit of the Lord, is the spirit, the same spirit that cries, Abba, Abba, Father, testifying to you and I that we are his sons and daughters of the King of Kings. I'm not a singer, I'm a son. I'm not an artist, I'm a son. I'm not a worship leader, I'm a son. You see, worship leading might be a gifting on my life. Artistry might be a gifting But my identity was never meant to be in the gifting, but in the giver. They might give you another name, but that doesn't mean your character reflects that name. You and I are called to reflect beloved. Beloved, I am the beloved. By the blood of Jesus, I've been adopted into the beloved. And the amazing thing is, when you and I begin to root ourselves and our identity in the giver of the gift, then we can properly enjoy the gift because we're enjoying it not alone, but we're enjoying it with the giver. And the gift becomes a beautiful instrument of worship and reconciliation in the world. Third, the food. Daniel was placed at a table 
One of the first places he was taken into Nebuchadnezzar's house was a massive table filled with an incredible spread of meat and wine, things that God had spoken to Daniel not to partake of. And here's Daniel's first test. Also, Daniel sees it as one of his first opportunities to reveal the glory of God. Being of a different spirit, being humble and kind and meek, he turns to the leader, the Babylonian leader, the chief eunuch who was supposed to train him and the other Israelites into Babylonian culture. And he says this, he says, I can't, I'm so sorry, but I cannot eat and drink what these guys are eating and drinking. You see food, the food in the story, the wine and the meat, it represents the food that Babylon is setting out in front of you at the table of your soul. You see, we have three doors into our soul, our eyes, our ears, and our tongue. What I look at feeds my soul. What I listen to feeds my soul. And the words that I speak feed my soul. I will eat the fruit of my lips. You see, we have to become like Daniel. And even though what Babylon has put on the table for our soul to consume looks good, are we feeding on the spirit of the age, the spread of Babylon, or are we feasting on the bread of life? Are we drinking from the wine of the spirit of the age, or are we drinking from the spirit of the Lord? from the well that never runs dry. We can get better at the craft that we have a passion for. You can get better at storytelling. You can get better at the craft of songwriting. You can get better at the craft of visual art. You can can get better at the craft of filmmaking. You can get better at, at the craft of your art form, but it does not mean the substance will be any deeper. It does not mean the impact will be any greater. Because substance determines impact, not just excellence. Substance determines the impact. And the the depth of the substance in my life is in direct correlation to what I feed on and what I drink on. If I'm drinking from Jesus and feeding from Jesus, then my substance grows deeper and deeper. And whenever inspiration comes, it has something deep to pull on. Now, when I mean feeding on Christ, not only do I mean the word of God and the presence of God, but I also mean things that are good, true, and beautiful. In Philippians, like Paul said, things that are praiseworthy, of good report, things that are good, things that are honorable, uplifting, Because remember, if it's good, if it's true, if it's beautiful, it's the king's territory. It's his territory because it comes from him. So that could be, it could be a really good novel that is uplifting. That's a good thing. It's not perverse. Christians, we know what perversion is. Perversion is a deviation from the standard of good. So if it's perverse, don't eat it. Don't drink it. But if it's good, if it's true, if it's beautiful, eat and drink until you're full. And I promise you, as you continue that heavenly habit 
of feasting on God, then you'll receive the reward, the harvest, when inspiration comes knocking. And last but not least, I want to talk about the dream. So here's Daniel, and he's, he's already had the opportunity to minister to the eunuch who oversees him and his men, demonstrating the glory of God and the miracle that God worked in Daniel's body and his men's bodies and their health. And so he's already gaining favor, but he's looking for more opportunities because his paradigm has shifted from the paradigm of living in Jerusalem to the paradigm of exile, but being used by God as an instrument of redemption. His eyes are wide open for any opportunity around the corner to demonstrate the glory of God. So here in this moment, he sees traveling through the palace under armed guard, all of the magicians of Nebuchadnezzar in chains, getting hauled off to go get killed. And we read from the story that these magicians were called into Nebuchadnezzar's room and Nebuchadnezzar terrified from this dream that he had. This dream, it's, I don't know if you've ever had those kinds of dreams that you woke up in a sweat, <laughs> you know? Uh, Nebuchadnezzar must have had one of those dreams. And, and by the looks of it, when you read this dream, it is pretty terrifying. He wakes up from this dream and he's sweating and he's anxious and he just, he needs an interpretation of this dream. And so he brings in, you know, the, the old magicians, the guys that have just been kind of hanging out for a long time. You know, he's used to these guys' faces and he's kind of fed up, I guess. You know, he could sort of tell that these guys were just like snake oil salesmen. You know, <laughs> he, he, he was already suspicious uh, that these guys even had really any gifting at all at interpreting anything. And so usually he would tell them the dream and they would interpret it. Well, this time Nebuchadnezzar flipped the script on him and he said, I'm not going to tell you the dream. If you're really gifted at this thing, you're going to tell me the dream and the interpretation. And if you don't, I'm going to rip you limb from limb and I'm going to, I'm going to send my men to your family's homes, burn down your houses and kill your family. Now that is the most metal thing I've ever heard in my life. That is so uh, dark. Okay, so Daniel is seeing these guys getting hauled across the, the courtroom or, or the house or the palace, wherever he is, and he sees these guys getting taken off in chains, and he asks compassion, and he looks to the guard, who I'm sure knew who Daniel was, and he says, hey, look, what's happening here? And the, and the guard begins to explain what happened. These guys couldn't give the interpretation, they couldn't give him the dream, and so we've got to go tear them limb from limb and burn their houses down. And so Daniel said this, hey... A green light happens again. He, he sees the opportunity to reveal God's glory. And he says, hey, how about this? How about you take them somewhere else, just delay the time of their execution, just delay it, and give me time to go meet with Nebuchadnezzar. I will give him the interpretation, the dream and the interpretation. And Daniel comes back to his men and he says, let's fast and pray and ask God to give me the dream. And God comes through. He gives Daniel the dream. Daniel goes before Nebuchadnezzar. He shares the dream and the interpretation for the dream. Nebuchadnezzar falls down on his knees and says, your God must be the God of gods. Another way of saying he must be the king of kings. He must be the one true God because none of my guys could do this. And so Daniel asks that he spares the life of the magicians and that he sets him and his men in, place, in places of authority um, amongst Babylon. Actually, it was Nebuchadnezzar that gave Daniel the authority. Nebuchadnezzar's response was, I want to set you over everything. Can you just do everything now? 
Can you just be my right-hand guy? Because I, I'm, I'm falling in love with you. You're amazing. Your God must be the true God. I want to give you the keys to the kingdom. I believe that Nebuchadnezzar in this story represents the cry of the culture. God has given you the opportunity to use this dialect of this art form that he's given you, to surrender it to him, to allow his anointing to touch your imagination, and to tell stories that interpret the dreams and the cries from the hearts of men, and to lead them in a sound of the kingdom of God, and to to carry them to the face of the King of Kings. Our latest record that's coming out, it's, it's being released on March 10th. It's called The City of God. During 2020 through 2021, as God began to speak to me through the story of Daniel, we were in the process of writing and recording a new album. And from the very beginning, I knew that the title of the album was going to be City of God. We didn't even have a song yet, but I knew the title of the album was going to be City of God. And God had been speaking to me through the story of Daniel about this artistic gifting and storytelling gifting, not only in my life, but in the lives of his creatives within his church and their calling to become like Daniel's today. And so I knew that the, the title of the album was going to be City of God. We ended up writing a great song, having this amazing encounter with the Lord in the studio, and God gave us a song for it. But from the very beginning, I had this image in my mind for the cover of the album. I knew I wanted to grab people. I wanted to shake them in the same way that I felt like God has been shaking me from my sleep to a change of paradigm. In the same way that Daniel was shaken into a new paradigm to, to think not like the old way, but to think according to the new thing God was doing as he was been taken into Babylon. God gave me the picture of the Tower of Babel. And he wanted me to place it on the cover of the record. And so... I began to look up old paintings of the Tower of Babel. And the first one I found was by a guy named Peter Bruegel. And it's a, it's a gorgeous painting. Um, but the only thing is, is that it was, it was very dark. And I, for some reason, I was like, man, this, this just looks, this painting almost looks, it's giving it away too quickly. It looks like the Tower of Babel. It looks like something that the enemy would try to build. But then I saw a painting by Abel Grimmer from 1595 called The Tower of Babel. He studied Peter Bruegel's work and actually admired Peter a lot, but he made his own version of the painting of The Tower of Babel. And when I saw this one, I said, that's it. And the reason is because if you look at this painting from Abel, from Abel Grimmer from 1595, it actually looks bright. The city, it actually looks attractive, like you want to go there. And I think that's what Babylon looks like. The spirit of Babylon has an attractive nature to it. It pulls on our flesh. It pulls on our pride. And it, it's trying to, like a magnet, draw each of us into that cry let us make a name for ourselves and become like God. But then I felt God say, on the cover of your record, I want you to put the title I gave you, City of God. And at first I was like, man, I, that seems a little weird. 
little upside down, you know, the Tower of Babel and the name City of God. Babylon's not the City of God. But then God spoke to me, and he said, Leland, I always have ambassadors from my kingdom in Babylon. I always have a redemptive plan for the world. The City of God is not a place, but it's a people. The city of God is wherever you are. And I pray that the Holy Spirit will awaken inside of you and inside of me a hunger and thirst for righteousness, a hunger and thirst for the mind of Christ, which is the culture of the kingdom of God. Thank you so much for listening to our first episode of Cathedra. I'm so glad that you joined me. And I'm excited because this week on Friday, March 10th, is the release of our new album, City of God. I hope it blesses you, ministers to you, brings you on a journey into the Word of God, into these old stories, and more than anything, fills you with hope for the future. Stay tuned. Next week, we'll be releasing the second episode of Cathedra titled Still Mighty. I'm so thankful that you came with me. We'll see you next week.